So, let me first just... So, I have a couple announcements. So, we're still technically in a series of seven psalms, but uh, we're doing Psalm 119, and those of you who are familiar with Psalm 119 will know that it's quite a big one. And so, we're spreading it out over three weeks, which is hardly enough, but that's what kind of I felt God was putting on my heart, that He wanted us to go through this and celebrate what this, uh, this psalm has to say, which is just how awesome the Bible is, and celebrating God's Word, and that's something I think we can definitely spend some time on. So we're going to be doing that today, and last week we went through verses 1 through 56, a lot of text. Today we're going to take another big chunk of that. Again, it's 176 verses, so that's still... Uh, just a portion of what we're going to be getting into, and a bit of a recap on what we're trying to accomplish or what this is, what this uh, psalm is. For those of you who don't know, it's a, an acrostic poem. What that means is that it's broken down alphabetically in the sense that each it has these different stanzas, 22 different stanzas of eight verses each, and uh, in a lot of your Bibles you'll see these kind of little figures and strange words at the beginning of each one, and that is the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And actually, it's pretty cool the way it's designed. Even every line, so every verse of every stanza would have started with the same letter uh, in Hebrew. Obviously not in English or any other language besides Hebrew. It doesn't really work with translation. But it's just this, it's a really awesome poem, and we talked about last week how it was structured and kind of just meticulously designed for a purpose, and it kind of, even the way that it's laid out, just celebrates God's Word, and uh, using the entire alphabet to kind of just talk about how much we need His Word, and how awesome His Word is to know, and to, to crave in our lives. Now our goal, in kind of taking on so much of, uh, to take a, such a huge portion, such a large chapter, is not so that we can kind of check it off our list, or you know, just pull out as many topics and as much as we can out of it. It's just, it's too much. I think, uh, personally, I feel like I could have done 22 weeks. I could have done a week for each stanza, but uh, I think that would have been, I'm not sure if we're ready for that yet. Maybe uh, we'll get there at some point. That's definitely getting a lot deeper. So a lot of what we're going to be doing today is reading through portions. There are some verses that I really believe God wants to speak to us, through today, and we're going to spend some more time on those. But as a, there are a majority of the sections, because of just the a mass amount of text that we're going to be going through, that we're going to be reading it. But I want to encourage you guys to be kind of open. I believe that it's God's intention and His plan in this mini-series to speak through His text in itself, especially when we're looking at a passage that talks about the Bible itself and talks about the wonders of God's Word. And I think God wants to speak through us, to us through that text. Now, um, this is why we're going to be reading every word of it. As I mentioned, we're going to go through all of the text, even though some of it's going to feel a little bit rushed. We're going to have to go a little quicker in some sections so that we can spend more time on others. But let God speak to you today as we read His Word. And every word of it is just this thanksgiving towards God's Word in itself and towards the Bible and the glory and wonder of the Bible. And it's something that we always need to be reminded of. Everybody needs to be reminded of how awesome God's Word is and how important it is to our life. And there's this longing throughout the text that the psalmist kind of keeps alluding to, of to know and to be taught God's Word, to cherish His Word, to love it, to love the Bible. And I pray that this hunger for God's word as we read through this text would grow in all of us, that we would all kind of have this love and hunger for God's word. And for those of you who say, I, I do, I love the Bible, I, I read it and I do love it, and I would pray that also for those of you who would say that, that your understanding would be more intuitive to the ways of God when we're getting into his word and that that hunger would grow even deeper. That is my hope and my prayer for all of us as we read through this text. And like I said, we will go a bit deeper in a few passages. 
So it may feel rushed at certain points, but something that I was encouraged by in having a conversation with someone this week is that when we look at the history of the church, there's something that they kind of keyed in on for thousands of years, and that's the importance of coming together as a congregation, that us being together right now is so important for us as believers to worship together, to sing praise to God together, and to read God's word together. That in, when we look at church history, there were times where they just got together, and still in a lot of traditional churches, and they would just read, there would be a reading of scripture, which we don't see in a lot of contemporary churches. So even though we are reading, there's going to be a lot of reading of the text, there's something really powerful in it that we can connect to as we're doing that together, as we're doing that as a family, as a body of Christ. And so even in that, I would encourage you guys, before we dive in, let's pray and just give this time over to the Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much, so much for your word. We thank you that we can read your word and study it, that we can come together like this and just dive into your text, dive into your alive and active word. And we pray that you would open all of our hearts, that we would experience that life-giving power that, the, that through the anointing of the Holy Spirit would just move in all of us. And we would experience that and we would also, bro- that our minds would be broadened in our understanding of your word. And that you would open my heart, Father, to speak only your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I do encourage people to read along. It is on the screen. Fortunately, they have an older translation of the NIV than you can get anywhere anymore. You can't even find it online. So sometimes there has been some discrepancies I've noticed or people have told me. I don't actually read what's on the screen behind me. But uh, I do encourage to read the Bible, to read along with, especially as I mentioned the importance of just coming together as a congregation, as believers, and reading God's word, that that in itself has power. So that is something I encourage you to do. We're going to start with, uh, and just like last week, we read it in, in stanza, so we're going to do the same thing. That's eight verses at a time, and kind of go through and then dive into a few verses at the end of each stanza. So we'll start with verses 57 through 64. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps toward your statutes. And that's something we looked at last week, that the word of God is like a mirror that we can look at and see our faults and see our failures. But in that, we're also drawn to his promises and drawn to the truths about who we are in his promises and through his salvation. Verse 60, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. And what I want to look at first is verse 57 and 58. And how they kind of seem to mirror one another in the truths that they're kind of giving us. And so I'm going to reword this a bit and look at these truths of these two verses. So God is our portion and he is gracious toward us according to his promise. That's good news for us. But then if we look at the other side of those verses, it's when we have sought him with all our heart, when we have promised to obey him, to live in obedience. That's what we looked at last week, that there's blessing in living in obedience to God's word. So this boils down for us today to the greatest of our promises that we have as believers. And for that, I want to look at A great image of that promise found also in the Psalms, since we're kind of focusing in the Psalms right now. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin 
the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. This is the promise of our salvation. This is the promise of the relationship that we have access to, that we are invited into, that we are adopted into through Jesus Christ. That God, this is God as our portion. It's our salvation. And this openness that we get to have in relationship with Him. Hmm. That our transgressions, that our sins are covered. They're forgiven. They're wiped away. They're forgotten. They're not held against us anymore. No matter what sins those might be, they're covered and wiped away. Not by anything that we've done, not by anything in our strength, but by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, by the blood shed by Jesus Christ, we have this portion. We have God as our portion through our salvation, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are saved and redeemed for a purpose. And for that, let's jump and look at verse 64 again. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. So here we could take this idea, this promise of salvation, and we can directly apply it. We could flip this around. When we're taught his decrees, when we live out his commands, and we have his word hidden in our heart, that we will see his love manifested in this earth. That his ways are love. God is love. Everything that we understand about love, everything that we can comprehend about love, only exists because of him. Because he is love. And we can be his love in the way that we live out our lives, the way that we speak to others, the way that we interact in our relationships. We can be that love. Then the earth truly can be filled with the love of God. And a part of that is through us, through God using us and making us a part of that purpose. A part of the purpose that we have in our salvation and making God our portion We can see God's love manifested in the earth through us. So are you one of his children? Are you a son? Are you a daughter of God? Is he your portion? Is your salvation secure in him? And again, that's secure in him because you didn't do anything to earn it or to deserve it. God's Grace brought you in through the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins, your transgressions were paid for. And all we have to do is believe that with our heart, confess it with our mouths, and we are a part of that adopted family. So are you one of his children? Then through knowing him and his word and obeying his commands and living his precepts out in your life, which is all done, of course, through the power and the transformation of the Holy Spirit that's alive and at work in our hearts. Let the love of God shine through you. Let it be something that is blinding to all of those in your life, all of those that you surround yourself with. Let them be blinded by that love. And it's all in, it's all in line. It's all connected. God is our portion, our salvation in Him resting in these promises through the blood of Christ. That love of God is manifest through us. It's amazing to me that God would use us, that he would use the foolishness of mankind to spread his love and to spread his truth and to spread the gospel into the world. That's how he chose to do it. That is our task and our purpose and our portion. It's all found in God and in His Word and His commands through His great and perfect love for us that is put within us, 
that we may be that in the world. So let's move on to our next section. And actually, in this section, there are a few verses actually over the next two sections that I want to spend quite a bit more time on. And so uh, we're going to read these two sections back to back. So I'll read verses 65 all the way to verse 80. But as I do, again, I'm going to probably remind you guys a lot. Let's just let the Word of God itself minister to our hearts. It has the power to transform in itself, apart from anything else. And so as we're reading, I pray that that would be something that speaks to you. So verse 65. Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. And that's what we looked at last week in the, having a boldness in the word of God, having a confidence in his word that no matter what the world says about you or to you in regards to what God has placed in your heart, that there is a confidence in it. Verse 70. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Verse 73. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. I really like this verse, and I'll just mention that it's this simple logic that if God is the one who created us, if God is the one who made us and formed us, who else would we go to to teach us, to give us understanding? It just seems pretty logical the way he lays it out there. Verse 74, May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. And this is what we just looked at in the last section. Being the light, being the love in the world around us, that when they see us, when they look at us, they would see a hope, a joy in the way that we live and the way that we love and the way that we interact with one another and the way we, are, we represent ourselves in the world. That would be something that people look to as a positive thing. Verse 75, I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. May I wholeheartedly follow your decrees that I may not be put to shame. Now there's always so much we could unpack in that. There's always so much in the text that we could dive into. But what I want to spend some time on is verses 67, 71, and 75. And I don't know if you noticed, there's one key thing that uh, comes up all throughout a common theme, and that is affliction. They all talk about affliction. So let's read verse 67 and 71, because they kind of echo one another. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. And verse 71, if, or, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Now what is affliction? It sounds like a foreign word. It sounds very kind of distant from us as an individual. But what it is, is it's a cause of pain or of harm. It's a, a state of being in pain, is kind of the basic dictionary definition of affliction. Now, that doesn't sound very good. That does not sound good to me at all. In fact, if you were to offer me affliction, I would say, no, thank you. And I would probably not want to talk to you anymore. But here he says, it was good for me to be afflicted. What is he talking about? How did we end up here? This, it was also encouraging 
But now he's talking about it was good to be afflicted. Now, I don't think anybody's lining up for more pain, for more affliction. It's never enjoyable to have to face times of affliction in our lives. It's never something that we're excited about walking into or sometimes struggling through for years. But we all face it. We all have times of affliction in our lives. I feel pretty confident in saying there is no one here that hasn't been afflicted. Even Jesus, who lived perfect, had a lot of affliction. That's a part of our walk. And he says that when we follow him, we have to take up our cross and follow him. And a cross is just a symbol for death. It wasn't a symbol for Christianity when he said that. It wasn't this nice you know, thing you can wear as a necklace and... It represented death. And he said, you have to take up this instrument of death and follow me. That affliction is a part of our life here on this earth. What do we do, though, when we face hardship, when we face affliction in our lives? I don't know about you guys, but I had affliction this week. I feel like I'm the only one that's struggling, that has affliction in their lives. I had affliction this week, and sometimes I have weeks that are, you know, good or bad, and I think we all know what that's like. But this week was one where I was dealing with some conflict, dealing with some stress, dealing with some anxieties. Those are a part of affliction. And I mean, in, in the scope of things, it might be mild compared to other weeks I've had, and it might be uh, more severe than others. But I definitely would say that there was some affliction in my week this week. And something that I struggle with pretty often that I've I've shared with you guys before, or at least from up here, is anxiety, especially social anxiety. I think God just really has a great sense of humor in asking me to preach because I have always dealt with a social anxiety, even in sometimes in just a small group, I can get anxious. But always with public speaking, I've had serious anxiety issues. I know that's very ironic to say while I'm up here preaching, but it's an affliction. It's something that I've prayed that God would just kind of, I just never want to have ang- be anxious about that again and just be able to walk up and not have any fear and not have any you know, anxiousness at all. But uh, so far, that's not been the case. God has not completely removed that from my heart or removed that from who I am. I've definitely, he's moved me into a different place, obviously, because I'm up here. I'm not running away and hiding. But that is an affliction that I've dealt with in my life. And I've learned to be so grateful for it, to be so thankful for it. Because it has drawn me so close to God in a way that I don't know if it would have happened the same way in, if, if not, if it hadn't been for these anxieties. It drew me so close to Him that I had to cling to Him every step of the way. And I can tell you guys that uh, a big part of that is... When God really called me or put me in this place where I, I knew that he was leading me to, especially to do this service, and I knew it would, be, it would mean preaching on a weekly basis, I kind of made a deal with God, not in a you know, negative way, but in a way that, well, I'll explain it like this, that I, I had to come to him and say, all right, God, if you want me to do this, you know that I can't do it alone. You know I cannot be up there without you. And through that, it's put me in a place of really clinging to him. And I can tell you, I've never, ever stood up here alone so far. I hope that is always the case. I've never been up here alone. I've always been up here clinging to God, knowing that he's with me, knowing that he's leading me and guiding me. 
And that's something that is a positive thing that has come out of an affliction in my life. And this is what, and we sang this actually, it was about kind of looking to God's promises. And that's kind of really what we want to go get from when we talk about dealing with affliction is going to God's promises. I know that God will never leave me nor forsake me because his word says so. That is a promise that I can stand firm on every single week. And actually, one of my favorite psalms when it comes to this issue is Psalm 94, 19. And I'm going to read the New King James Version. I guess the, probably the NIV is going to be on the screen. Uh, it's also good. The NKJV is kind of the one that, that's what I grew up reading, and so it's the one that's the closest to my heart, especially with a verse that has a lot of meaning. So I'm going to read the New King James Version. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. I feel like God wants to just remove some anxieties from people today. I don't believe I'm the only one who has anxieties. There are different kinds of anxieties. Not everybody has a fear of public speaking. Not everybody has, you know, the same anxieties. But we all have something that we might be anxious about. Maybe it's anxious about things, mistakes you've made in your past and feeling a fear of those being exposed or just an anxiousness about your connection with those. Maybe it's an anxiousness about the future. Where am I going to be in five years? What am I going to do? What's my you know, two-year plan and my five-year plan? Maybe it's being anxious about a fear of loss or it could even be any other kind of affliction. Different kinds of fears we deal with, physical afflictions. Only you know what your afflictions are. Only you know what those might look like in your life. But I do believe that there's no one in this room that that doesn't apply to. And in the midst of these afflictions, we can be thankful for them. We can be thankful for what God is doing through them and that we can cling to Him. He is our life raft. And we can so tightly hold on to Him in the midst of of all things, and that he brings us through afflictions, through pains, through these hardships, through these troubles. And as he does, we can always stand on his promises. And his promises are in the word. It's in the word of God. It's knowing these promises and standing on them. Like I have to read my psalm that even in the midst of my anxieties, I love that verse because it's not, you know, God's going to take all my anxieties away. It says, in the midst of them, even though I have all these things in me right now, in my heart, you're, you're comforting me. I can delight in you. I can stand on your promises. I can trust in you. I can feel your love and your joy in the midst of all things. We can always run to him. Even in looking at our shortcomings and our faults and our failures, for me, that would definitely my anxieties would fall into that category as a shortcoming. We can find comfort in Him and in our salvation that He has for us. And through that salvation, through that relationship with our Lord, through Jesus Christ, we can always run to Him and He's always there. He's always waiting. He's always ready to comfort us and to give us joy and strength in the midst of those, even when the affliction is self-inflicted. Let's read verse 75. I know, Lord, that your, way, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Now this to me seems like a different kind, different aspect of affliction. This can be a lot to do with God's discipline in our lives. That God, and well, let me read Proverbs three eleven through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. That's good news. God sometimes works on us on the inside, and it can feel like affliction. It can feel like turmoil. But it's something that he does because he loves us. 
And I want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon on this. I, for my part, owe more, I think, to the anvil and to the hammer, to the fire and to the file than anything else. And those are all tools to sharpen something. Through beating, through heating, through filing down. And he says, I bless the Lord for the correctives of his providence by which if he has blessed me on the one hand with sweets, he has blessed me on the other hand with bitters. That is a powerful quote. And I would pray that for myself and for all of us here, that we would reach this level of understanding, this level of maturity in our Christianity, in our walk with God, especially in dealing with afflictions in our lives. That we'd be, of course, thankful, that we'd have just a thankfulness for the sweets, as he mentions. So that's the great days when things are going well, the successes, the achievements, the joys, the new relationships, the excitements. But we would also have a deep appreciation for the bitters, the harder days, the failures, the pains, the losses, the afflictions that we struggle with in our lives. And there is a need in this life for us to be sharpened, to be filed down because we all have some rough edges that need to be smoothed. And when God is at work in you, this is a part of that work, of filing down, sometimes in the fire, sometimes with the hammer. But let's stand with Charles Purgeon in saying that, man, I'm, I'm grateful for the good and for the hard times in my life because they've led me and they've sharpened me to become more of who Christ is calling me to be. Hmm. I have a lot more on this, but we have a lot more text to get through. I'm going to mention this really quickly, that there's another great image of this where in John where Jesus is talking about being, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And I love this. I, love, I have a garden and I've got grapevines, and so just the image is just really clear. But if you live in this area, you've definitely seen grapevines. And so it's this image that we need to be pruned. God is the gardener. So Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and God is the gardener, and he's pruning us so that the fruit is at its best. That is always the purpose. There's a purpose in these prunings that God, these disciplines that God kind of works in our hearts and works in our lives. It's for our better. It's so that we can produce good fruit. And also, if we're going to talk about affliction, I also want to mention that just because you're going through affliction doesn't mean that you're automatically becoming a better person. That uh, we also want to be instructed through God's word in these seasons and in these times. We want to go to his word to see that fruit produced. And also, we don't need to be in constant pain and just say, well, praise the Lord, it's for my better so this is just the way it is. I'm just going to suffer in silence. That is not at all what God has intended for us. If you're struggling with something, bring it to the family. Bring it to God's family. This, the church is the place where we want to be dealing with these things together. Yes, there's going to be times where we're going to have afflictions and there's going to be times we're going through that, but we never, ever, ever have to stand alone. We stand together as a family. We stand, we support one another. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We pray for each other. This is not something that we ever, ever want to stand alone in. And if you are struggling with something, bring it to the church. Find people to connect with. And this is always a place, a safe place for that to happen. We want to be encouraging and be strengthening each other. So if it's something that you're struggling with or you're dealing with or you're not sure about or you're maybe just whatever it might be, it's an endless, the amounts, the types of afflictions we struggle with are endless. But in those things, I would encourage you to bring it to the church. Don't stand alone in it. 
We want to come to God. We want to trust him that he's going to work it out for our good, that he's going to sharpen us through them. He's going to bring us through those things. But we also don't need to stand alone in those things. We can stand shoulder to shoulder because we're all in this together. There's nobody who has it all figured out. There's nobody that's doing everything perfect. We're all just, we're all a mess. Humanity, that's a big part of what we are. We're a mess and we need God. We need him. We need a savior. And so in that, we can also stand together and be a strength and an encouragement to one another. So please don't feel like you have to endure affliction alone. Stand with your family in the Lord. So I know we spent a lot of time there, but I do believe that God wanted to make this clearer in our understanding of dealing with affliction in our lives, and that in all of it, we cling to him and we stand together, and we trust in his promises through all our adversities, and let's try to reach this point where we can even be grateful for the hard times because God uses them for our greater good. It's just in this world, our greater hope is the world to come. So it's all, Paul always, my uh, favorite quote about that is Paul talking about all of the things he dealt with, which is just a long list of suffering. And he says, it's all light and momentary. It's just for now. It's no big deal. So we can deal with these things, especially when we have each other and the promises of God. Let's move into our next five sections. <laughs> Verse Uh, The rest of this, we are going to go through a lot quicker because I really wanted to spend time on that. I felt like God had that for somebody. I hope that that did minister to a few of you. I do believe that God wanted to help us in understanding dealing with those things because it's something we all struggle with at different times. So the rest of this, we're going to go through a lot quicker. I've got a few thoughts on each section, and uh, we'll go ahead and get into that now. So verse 81 through 88. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pits to trap me contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. In your unfailing love, preserve my life, that I may obey your statutes and of your mouth. The statutes of your mouth. I got there. Now the psalmist here is expressing the state of weakness The state of brokenness. My soul faints. My eyes fail. And the smoke, the smoke and and wineskin, it's kind of, it means a dried out wineskin. It's brittle. It's right at the breaking point. He's saying, I'm at my end. And I think a lot of this, this, his weakness is out of his love and his longing and this desperation for more, this desperation for God to be teaching him more, that he's, it's never enough. He wants to understand all of who God is. He wants his, that, those precepts, those laws, his word in his heart. And out of this longing, it, it's this sense of weakness. It's almost to me like, well, and this is a poem, so we can always take that into consideration. And so there's almost this kind of like movie-esque style of love, you know, the kind of weak in the knees and, you know, I feel... I feel weak as I'm, as I'm seeking, as I'm longing for my love to return. And that, to me, is the image that he's trying to portray. There's this sense of anguish as he's straining to see. As my, my eyes fail, I faint. It's like we sang today, as the deer pants for water, this kind of... I, I need it, I long for it, as we're probably all longing for water right now in this heat. This kind of desperate longing. And when we read the Bible, is that something that applies to us? Do we anguish for it? For a deeper understanding of God, of who He is, of His promises, of His character that's revealed through His Word? That would be my encouragement for all of us, that we would get to that 
point. Let's read verses 89 through 96. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. This is why we can trust his promises. They are eternal. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And that draws right from what we were looking at earlier. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but, will, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. And actually, I want to just focus on that last verse because to me it's the most interesting. It kind of stands out from the rest. And so for that, I'd, I'd ask you guys to, to just imagine, if you will, something beautiful, whatever it might be, anything you can think as what is beauty to you, what is something wondrous, what is something amazing that you've seen, that you've read, that you've experienced, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's nature or something of nature. Maybe it's the universe and its vastness. And when we think about all of these things, no matter how amazing, no matter how perfect, the psalmist is saying these have a limit. They have a limit in their perfection. They have a limit in their beauty. They have a limit in their wonder. But the word of God, the commands of God are boundless. They have no limit in their beauty, in their wonder. They are boundless. And this is because his word is not dead. It's not fixed. It's alive. It's active. And it is something to be treasured and cherished beyond all creation, by, beyond anything in this world. Its beauty is beyond description, and that's the whole point of this whole psalm, 176 verses talking about how wonderful God's Word is, and yet it's just scratching the surface, because God's Word has no limit. And with that, I would just give a warning to you guys before we dive into the next section, that we have to be careful in our modern world that just because the Bible fits on your phone and your pocket does not diminish its wonder, does not diminish its value. And I think sometimes because it's so available, it's so easily accessible, we can forget how amazing it is. Whereas for hundreds of years, people flocked to buildings so they could just hear it because they couldn't read it for themselves. Hungry for it. And how amazing it was when it was first translated into, into other languages that people could read for themselves. So let's, not, let's be careful not to diminish its value because it's so accessible for us today in modern society. Verse 97 through 104. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate, it, meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. And make me wiser than my enemies. I, make, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from, evil, from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And there's a lot in there, but I love this image of, being that, of having this wisdom of more wiser than the elders and having more understanding than your teachers. And This is just a reminder that wisdom, true wisdom, even practical wisdom for our everyday living, is found in God's word. In Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. 
Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Do it. <laughs> it's just really get wisdom. And then Proverbs 9, 7 gives us the other half of that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So I would just let's let that just sink in. The Bible is not some old, dusty, out-of-date book. It's not something that is just for then and not for now. Or it's not something that we can take some of it. It has the, the words of life and wisdom within it. And as the proverb says, get wisdom, and you can find it in the pages of the Bible. Verses 105 through 112. I know we're moving fast, but uh, it's already getting there at that point. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, and I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth. And teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. In verse 105, that it's, it's through the wisdom and the knowledge that comes out of placing his word in our heart. And the choices we face become so much more clear. And we looked at this a bit last week, but I love this verse, that our path is lit. I mean, I used to have to ride my bike to and from Freiburg, and a lot of times it was in the evening, and I rode along the Dreisen, and sometime, one time my lamp did not work, and that is a very scary path to ride with no land. So we need a lit path before us. It's good to have our path lit. And the Word of God offers us that light. It sheds light on our path, the, the way that we're already heading. And we looked at that last week, that as we're facing these decisions, God, what do I do right now? Where am I supposed to go? What's, what, how am I supposed to make this decision in my life? That when we have the word of God in our heart, when we have that just abounding from within us, that sheds light. It's the difference between going with no light or a light on a dark night. And there's, it's, the difference is uncanny. It's, you want the light. So let's put that light in our lives so that it sheds onto the path that we're heading. So that when there's something in the way... When there's a big rock, we don't hit it. We know how to navigate through different things in our lives, different situations, when we have that light shedding, shedding that light onto our path before us. And that's what the psalmist is clearly proclaiming. And I think also clearly from his own experience, the way he talks about his afflictions, the way he talks about his persecutions, that that light in his life made a huge impact in the way that he navigated through those situations. So our last section, 113 through 120. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your, de your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Hmm. I can really relate to the beginning of that. 
hating, double-minded people. People who say one thing and do another, wishy-washy, back and forth. And in light of this, let's read, let me read first Revelation 3.16, pretty famous verse. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And when we're talking about the Bible, when we're talking about God's Word, we really come down to two possibilities that we can go with when we're reading it and how we understand it and how we believe it. It's either the truth and we should live our lives according to it. We should want to put it in our hearts as we see as the psalmist is writing this kind of longing for it. Or it's really all nonsense. It really makes some pretty bold claims that we believe when we say it's the word of God, when we say this is the truth, it makes claims of, well, it makes a lot of claims that we won't have time to get into, but in, in keeping with what our, we're talking about today, and guys, God is our portion and our salvation, that Jesus Christ, this guy who lived 2,000 years ago, was raised from the dead, died on his own accord, his own choice, lived perfect, bled, and through that blood our sins are covered, and through his resurrection we are set free. And when we believe that, we are freed from death and can live in eternity with him. That is a bold claim. That's either crazy talk or something to set your whole life on. And when we look at the Word of God, we have to come to one of these two conclusions. Now for me, I believe. I believe in the Word of God. That it is the Word of God, and it has been in my life a lamp to my feet. Something that has lit the path before me. It has led me to salvation and a deeper understanding of my salvation in and through Jesus Christ. And through this book, God has become my portion in my life. In 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. We can stand firm in our faith, in the promises of God, in the security of our salvation through Jesus Christ alone, and the grace that He has drawn us in and saved us by. So in closing, let's not be lukewarm. Let's not be double-minded in the way that we live. Let's not live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That we may be this light in the world. That we may be the love of God in the world. Not caring what others say or what others think, no matter how much they try to destroy us with lies, as the psalmist said but that we would stand firm in Him and stand firm in what we know and what we see in God's Word. I'll invite the band to come up.